All right. So uh, welcome to our season finale, episode 10. I can't believe it's Ooh. finally here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Matt Hart Spade. And I'm Jenners. And, and uh, this is Mixtape Memories. Yay. Yay. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, so I feel like for some reason, the last few episodes, we've talked about a lot of male fronted acts from emo to post rock and space rock to uh, everything else. Even when we had our little indie dance episode, there were a lot of men mentioned. Yeah. You know? So I think it's time that we had to dedicate an entire episode to all these incredible women that made music in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, so that's what this episode's going to be dedicated to. So many, so many good ones. So many good ones. And some that unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, we don't hear about as much and some that have kind of uh, either reunited or grown their presence to a point where they are, you know, super household, mainstream, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like the, the, the movement in the 90s in terms of women really coming into their own probably was, I feel like the Riot Girl in early 90s kind of, bikini kill and and um the kill rock stars type acts and Mm -hmm. i mean that was there's so much good stuff that came from that time period yeah you know i mean bikini kills just did a few shows yeah shows right yeah and they're playing i feel like they're playing venues for sure that they never would have played you know 20 years ago giant giant like in new york alone they sold out what was it king's maybe multiple nights at king's theater which is at least three thousand people I want to say they sold out Brooklyn Steel as well. Like all these considerable venues. And I mean, not just sold it out, sold it out immediately to the point where all the tickets are on StubHub for like hundreds upon hundreds yeah, I mean, of dollars. I think, yeah, people are traveling from really far yep. just because there's not that many shows at this point. Yeah. So they all want to be there you know, at the first reunion shows back. So I mean, good for them for getting their money. Yeah, you know? <laughs> for sure. But yeah, I think that happens, right? Like when a band hasn't played for a really long time and the myth kind of builds up a little bit. And exactly. People get excited because they're like, oh, I never thought I'd see them, especially in, in a big place like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's it, there are definitely people there that are there for the nostalgic factor. But I think also for a lot of these, you know, uh, Gen Zers, they, they didn't they weren't even alive when it was around the first time. So it's their chance to really see it for the, you know. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of blows my mind a bit, but uh, it's kind of <laughs> cool, you know. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. I have like a silly memory about Kathleen Hanna. Yeah. From a mixtape that my friend Dan made me. He put the, I guess she did a cover of a, it was originally like a Ben Lee song. Okay. <laughs> that was about Evan Dando. Okay. And I called I Wish I Was Him. Oh. Do you know that song? I don't. Oh, uh, so. Yeah, I actually didn't know it was like a cover. I always, you know, just on my tape as Kathleen Hanna. So I was like, oh, did she write a song about Evan Dando? <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> weird. But yeah, um, it's all about like how cool he is, how all the girls want to hang out with him, mm-hmm. all the guys want to be him, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And apparently now Evan Dando sings this song. Oh, that's funny. Oh, <laughs> full circle. Sets. Yeah, so, uh, that's pretty fun. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. When I think Lemonheads, I think of um, an act I was really fond of when I was uh, 12, 13, 14 was Juliana Hatfield. Oh, it's the of same course. circle. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, that Become What You Are album I really, really loved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They like play like I think they went on tour together. At one oh, did they? Too. Like you know, later, like in the like twenty, you know, twelve era or something like that. Uh huh. 
think I remember seeing them at like Bell House or something. I recently dug up a ticket stub that was autographed by Juliana Hatfield from oh Knitting God. Factory uh, when it was in Tribeca. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool find in my box of rando goodies. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was a big fan of hers. And I feel like that album came out in maybe 93-ish. Yeah. So kind of uh, at the start of, I don't know, um, women really kind of breaking ground in the 90s with yeah. music. Yeah. And then I know we talked about uh, Bjork's debut and how we both love that album. And, and then, of course, obviously her career now is she's, you know, yeah. th- there are no words. I mean, she's beyond. yes, beyond <laughs> um, just this creative, you know, uh, behemoth. But uh, that was a great album that was also from the early 90s that also people didn't know exactly what to do with because it's like, who is this exactly? And yeah. she's going in all these directions and she's fun and she's quirky and she's weird and um you know she's obviously she's just she's amazing but uh that's another good one i think from like the early 90s um and then personally i was into like more um i i guess you can call it more poppier stuff but um uh like the breakthrough singer songwriters of the moment like tori amos the first few tori amos albums still mean so much to me Uh, even though i don't revisit them a bunch but if i were to hear something from little earthquakes under the pink um boys for pele choir girl hotel at this point it still would move me yeah um actually i went to an album signing she did about a year or two ago and i got to uh to meet her and i gave her this big hug and it was like an emotional thing for me i think with a lot of the stuff that we've uh visited over the course of this season um be you know we were teenagers or or early 20s when all this was happening and we have these connections Mm -hmm. you know um and it kind of like it sticks with you. I don't know how to describe it. It's an emotional thing. Yeah, I yeah. mean, her music was so personal that I feel like it was so personal to fans too, because of, and that's why, like, that's the magic of her, mm-hmm. you know, relationship to her fans. Mm-hmm. So I can totally see that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, in a way, music is always going to trigger like those fe- original feelings in a way, as you know, of the age we were when we first experienced it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Tori, but I never like got full like obsessive mm-hmm. into Tori. But I thought she was obviously very talented. And mm-hmm. She was one of those people. I think like a lot of her songs like came from like um, kind of emotional pain kind of situations, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like really dark, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the first time you really like saw somebody like just bearing like their you know dark past you know into like this music and Mm -hmm. expressing it um you know i recently was watching an interview with her and i had no idea but you know little earthquakes which was obviously Mm -hmm. her debut and breakthrough release with crucify and you know silent all these years and so much good stuff i didn't realize at the time when she presented that album to the label they said oh yeah your songwriting's great but we're not going to have a piano based album uh we'll we'll put you into a studio with some dudes and we'll make this like a like a nirvana type release wow. and she's like i'm not doing that <laughs> and she fought for it and apparently it was a big tug of war with the label i had no idea wow. and obviously she won and it, you know it's a piano release it's her in the piano for the most part yeah um so good for her for yeah f- sticking it out and also like fighting the man literally you yes, know? know uh so yeah Quick kudos to Tori for for not backing down to her original vision, which I think is so important. It's super important and it kind of made her. Yeah. Particularly when you think of like those men at the at the label that are in their suits and 
out of touch yeah and, you know yeah it's like just being told like what you're supposed to be like such a big part of like the stupid business and anyone who can kind of stand up and like stay stick with who they are is like you know inspiring to see because it's it's hard in the face of like people telling you well this is not going to succeed mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and you got to kind of show them no it will mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. stick to my guns you know? yeah you got to fight for it what else were you loving uh in the early slash mid part of the 90s that were uh, some women fronted acts I was super into Elastica. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be Justine Frischman for sure. I thought she was the coolest. Uh, that band was the coolest. Their look, their sound. Yeah. Actually, A Heart as a Spade is a reference to, my old blog is a reference to a lyric in Connection, which I was like their that. big US single. I love that. Yeah. That was such a good good uh, song off of like such a great album. Yeah. <laughs> their only album, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 She was the only one that like made me want to have short hair. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I know, like I always cry when I <laughs> cut my hair short. I always like forget how awful it is. <laughs> but I remember being a teenager being like, I want that haircut from the cover of that album. She was so badass. So yeah, badass. they had such a good look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Super Nick Kim Gordon. Of course, yeah. Youth, I thought, you know, she was. Also, just like super cool in a way more kind of badass sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, she was kind of like always like her songs sounded arty no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was super into like that Dirty album. And, um, you know, she had the song Drunken Butterfly that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Heather, um, Little Trouble Girl, which she did with Kim Deal. Uh-huh. Braiders um, and Pixies era. I got to work very briefly with uh, with Kim and Kelly Deal last summer. Oh, that's so cool. Because the Breeders did a show at a venue I work with, and um, oh my god, it was uh, they were so fun, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was like a little bit I had to keep myself together because I <laughs> I wanted to geek out, but I did not. Um, oh so god. I kind of held it in until I got home, and then I kind of let out this big scream like I was just. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know. Oh, they were yeah. unbelievably uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. When I was looking at my mixtapes, I was like super into. Um, there's like always a good Lush song, always a good mm-hmm. um, song from Verses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean Lush. Uh, they had that song uh, "Lady Killers." Yeah, that was like pretty popular. But I was re- so I was reading that they wrote that song after they did Lollapalooza. Okay, we were playing with like. Um, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers so it was kind of like their introduction to like American <laughs> rock music oh <laughs> and they were like so they wrote that lady killer song kind of almost in reaction to Red Hot Chili I Peppers. had no idea <laughs> like about being uh, you know a man and like not being able to like you know women not being able to do what men can it mm-hmm. was kind of a reaction to this kind of very male kind of rock yeah they were like hearing at Lollapalooza that's really cool and especially I feel like that was maybe their biggest radio alternative single Mm -hmm. um modern rock whatever you want to call that genre which is kind of dead in the water now but uh but it probably was played in a lot of situations when it was a hit like Mm -hmm. next to a Red Hot Chili Peppers song you know so that's kind of amazing you know (laughs) 
A lot of stereo love. Of course, yeah. I just love them. And they're another one of those bands like you didn't always like know what they were singing about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> didn't um, matter. It didn't matter because like the music was so good and the vocals were good. It didn't yeah, you didn't have to know what they were singing. Mm-hmm. They were on so many of my mixtapes. Yeah, that's a mixtape kind of band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember like reading some someone posting like on Facebook like which stereo like I just found out about Stereo Lab. Which album should I you know start with it? And I was just thinking like it doesn't matter what album yeah. you start with with them. Like they're all really good. They are. They are. <laughs> so yeah, there's no right you know order to listen to their albums. Exactly. I feel the same way. I remember going to see them on the Dots and Loops tour, mm-hmm. but now they're coming back, right? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. so. Um, I never got a chance to see them, which uh, I'm bummed about, but maybe maybe on this upcoming track. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what it's going to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably kind of different. A little yeah. bit different. Yeah. Who else did you listen to? Well, I feel like uh, in an earlier episode, I went on and on about garbage, but garbage was like my thing. I think, you know, when I was listening to kind of like a lot of alternative stuff that was on the radio, I feel like you were discovering stuff that was cooler outside of the mainstream. So I feel like a lot of my mid 90s tastes are very aligned with what was being played on alternative radio. It wasn't until for me the later 90s and early 2000s that my tastes expanded fully. Mm -hmm. So um but yeah. Garbage is one of those bands to this day, like I still love, and um, and particularly those first couple albums. I mean, Shirley uh, and Shirley, Manson. Shirley is yeah, <laughs> like I said, yeah, she's my everything. So, um, you know, Garbage. You know who I saw about a year or two ago um, was Mazzy Star. They oh. did some sort of like reunion thing. Um, they played, and actually, it was more than two years ago. Maybe it was like four years ago now. They played Terminal Five, which is uh, wow. not the best venue, as no, you know, people in New York giant. know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they were amazing. It was really um, an emotional experience. And I have to admit, like, I don't remember too many songs outside of, you know, the obvious uh, yeah. Fade Into You and, and some of the other singles from that release. Um, but it was really a beautiful show. Yeah. Um, they pretty much played almost entirely in the dark. Um, wow. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was one of those things where you just kind of leave the venue and you you there's something that you picked up on yeah Uh, i don't know i can't explain it but it was emotional yeah yeah i mean that song was very haunting and but all over the place right yeah like is it does it still have the same magic it did and her vocals were flawless wow yeah it was really pretty but actually haunting's the right word that's how i would describe the whole show yeah yeah and it was a long show too i feel like they played for over two hours yeah it was really great i'm glad i i got to go You know, I feel like uh, as the mid '90s were, um, there were certain bands that broke, and particularly women and women fronted acts. Notably, obviously Alanis, which we'll delve into more later. But um, you know, Hole after Kurt passed, and Hole released "Live Through This" just a couple weeks after mm-hmm. that album um, really was kind of a, a moment, and um, Courtney became kind of the poster child for. A lot of things, um, but uh, but notably, like I feel like a lot of it was outside of the music. Her fashion, like she with the butterflies, the clips in her hair, and mm-hmm. and um, the Baby what do you call? It? Thank you. I was trying to think of the name. Yeah. Um, she kind of, in addition to emoting so much with the music and and getting that out with her live shows and and kind of grieving, I feel like she also was a bit of a fashion plate. 
you know? Yeah. Um, like a messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like it was now so she's 90s. A, you know, trying to be more cleaned up. Or yes. Whatever, yes. Um, back then she was sort of like a little bit of a mess and that was like her thing, her look. That was her thing. Um, but then she started getting into plastic surgery and more yeah, fashion-y. and Hollywood. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know some some other kind of thing now. <laughs> yeah, I saw a whole um, a few years back. There was some sort of documentary that came out. It wasn't about whole, but it was whole adjacent somehow. I forget exactly. <laughs> I want to say it was like about maybe like uh, women in rock. I hate that term from like the mid uh, the mid early nineties. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. uh, and anyway, long story short, Hole did a very, very brief, literally like two or three song reunion set at public assembly, which is no longer either oh, wow. Williamsburg. And, um, of the three songs they played, one of them was, uh, was Miss World from, uh, Wow. from uh live through this which was really it was incredible to see that in such a small room like right near courtney in fact i remember yeah. i like assisted her to the stage because i don't know if she was kind of being mobbed and i was right there and i was like i'll hold your hand and push oh you on stage. so that was kind of cool <laughs> um so anyway going back to the the point at hand whole garbage uh i was an alanis fan we'll delve into that more you know a band that i discovered kind of early on before they really broke in a bigger way was uh the gossip um who date back to you know way back that yeah um i saw them at the black hat in dc and they played to maybe 30 40 people and this is when beth and the gossips music was a lot more punk driven and less Mm -hmm. poppy Mm -hmm. and she was less also of like a a fashion diva um oh god but it was i mean it was one of those things like catching catching that show and not knowing a great deal about them at the time i was like oh my god this is amazing I know her energy is incredible. Yeah. And um, I always found her really inspiring. And yeah, I mean, but they, they were punk, but they were all, all very kind of, you know, I think, you know, always had a kind of a dancey sort of ness to them. Yeah. And then they really explored that later on. And then when Beth released com- some solo stuff that yeah. was very disco inspired. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking she, you know, everyone's freaking out now about Lizzo, but yeah. <laughs> I think Beth Ditto was like the original big girl. Yeah. Like... Who's like proud and fierce. <laughs> yeah. And... Proud and fierce. Yeah. And just like owns it. You know? Yeah. Um, She's always been that way. And, um, you know, and so openly queer and so like, mm-hmm. this is who I am. And if you don't like it too bad, you right. know, and I really appreciated that. Although that for me was a little more towards the very late nineties, early, you know, two thousands. I also was a big fan of Beth Orton. Um, mm-hmm. And she, I, I got a chance to work with her when I was interning at Astroworks uh, in college, uh, when I was back home in New York. And I remember once she came into the office, she's like over six feet tall. No way. Yeah, she is. <laughs> and at first I didn't know who it was, but someone whispered that like that was Beth Orton. I didn't I didn't realize she was so tall. And I was wow. like, oh, wow. It was very much like a presence when she walked in. But it was cool. I mean, I was in the marketing department. I was interning and I was working pretty much. I, my job was to call different record stores around the country and make sure that our releases were you know, displayed properly in the store and the posters were up and pretty much making it an easy point of sale for the CD, you know? Mm. Um, so I got to work briefly with Beth, Beth Orton, which was cool. And then just to kind of quickly go over some other acts I was into, um, I feel like after the Alanis craze of the mid nineties, there were a lot of acts that followed that. I feel like the labels were tra- maybe trying to capitalize on her success. So I was into Tracy Bonham who had a very short lived career and her big single was called mother, mother. 
I was into a band called Republica, whose big single was called Ready to Go, which was kind of like garbage meets early 90s rave meets like, I don't know, something kind of frantic and crazy. And <laughs> she also had very bright colored, like red streaked hair. Mm. Um, what else? Um, there was a band I was into uh, that was like a Swedish one hit wonder. It was fronted by a woman and it was called, they were called Salt. <laughs> um, I love a Swedish one hit wonder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was interesting because they were kind of grungy. I, I don't even remember how I discovered them, but I do remember that I would, they, their single was called Bluster, and I would call Q1043, which was like the hard <laughs> rock station. Now it's classic rock here in New York. But I would beg them to like play it and, oh um, you know, hoping that it would end up on their like nightly countdown of like the top <laughs> 10 most requested because I called in a million times. I think to this day, I'm probably the only person who remembers this band. But um, I was into them. I was into Jill Sobule and I Kissed a Girl and that whole thing. She was the original I Kissed a Girl. She was the original. <laughs> um, and then like uh, this band Kay's Choice that was kind of cool. Uh, I don't remember their origins to be honest with you, but I, I do remember liking a couple of their albums. Morchiba was really cool. Oh yeah, they were really cool. Yeah. I had a moment where I was really into Sinead O'Connor uh, in college. Uh, she put out an album called Faith and Courage. Hmm. And... Um, I don't even know why I picked it up, um, but I was really into it. And um, there were some good singles on that release. And then I remember being a big fan of Chibo Motto. And recently I got to work with Miho Atori on a, on a performance she uh, she did here in New York. And that oh, was nice. kind of a moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that Chibo Motto album with, um, what was it, Stereotype A? Or is that the single of the album? I don't recall. But that moment in like 2000, 2001, I thought they were the shit. I love them. They were so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had worked on shows where Yuka Sihanda was a guest and, you know, I just love like, I mean, she's still doing like really experimental stuff. That's like super interesting. Mm -hmm. So I like really appreciate her as an artist. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, they're still doing cool things, even though they're not, they don't always do it. As Chibo Motto. Yeah, yeah. And then so many other acts that honestly I either can't remember or were a little more flash in the pan perhaps, but uh, there was so much. And I feel like a lot of my memories too are also tied to like Lilith Fair culture from the late 90s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually was fortunate enough to work with um, uh, some of these women over the last couple of years um, for my day job, uh, notably Lisa Loeb and um, Joan Osborne, Suzanne Vega. That I got to say like, they're all pretty damn cool. I don't know. It's kind of bananas because a lot of them, they haven't really aged at all. They still look like it's 1995, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but not only that, they more importantly than what they look like, they sound exactly the same. I mean, Suzanne Vega's vocals are, I mean, I don't know what other word to use except flawless. Wow. They're perfect. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, I'm not sure if everyone realizes this, but uh, she's considered the mother of the mp3 you know about this no yeah so apparently when the mp3 was being developed in the i forgot it was the earlier mid 90s they were trying to find a song that uh or a vocal delivery i should say that worked perfectly from going to the cd to a digital file and they were trying with various songs and then they finally found the one that worked perfectly because the the vocal was uh, so clean, and it was uh, Suzanne Vega, Tom's Diner. Oh yeah. God. So if you if you wiki it, you'll see that she's considered the mother of MP3, and she's still like she's proud of that title. That's crazy. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. 
Um, I also worked briefly with Sophie B. Hawkins, <laughs> which was a trip. She's a little batshit, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway, she was, you know, I mean, I have fond memories of that. I also worked with uh, Donna Lewis fairly recently, who had that single, I Love You Always Forever. <laughs> um, and uh, she released a jazz record, which actually was really pretty. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff, you know, this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg, but yeah. uh, um, there was a lot of great stuff. I know that you and, and I were both fans of early Cranberries stuff. Yes, I uh, loved Cranberries. Uh, her voice was really one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. And those songs really touched you. Yes. You know? Yeah, no, she was uh, incredible. You know, from the, the softness of dreams to like mm. the, uh, <laughs> you know, darker... Um, uh what was that um the dark what the zombie zombie oh yeah <laughs> yeah well it's kind of interesting that zombie was the huge radio single but it makes sense at the time yeah. but most of the cranberries music on the debut uh and on no need to argue was a lot softer yeah you know that was like one of the few kind of heavier guitar tracks mm -hmm. yeah but of course like that song linger that was like uh. everywhere Kind of more obscure ones were like Velocity Girl. Mm -hmm. I would, those would always be on mixtape. And one, I know you don't remember them, but they were on, I don't know why they were on so many of my mixtapes, but Arson Garden. Okay. I think we're from the Midwest and um, more like they were calling it melodic metal. Um, I don't remember this. I have to, I'm going to have to research. Yeah, look it up. Okay. <laughs> they were pretty cool. For our repeat skip. But we picked a couple women who kind of symbolize independence in one way or another. Absolutely. Uh, these, these were both albums. huge albums. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess first uh, we could talk about Alanis. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, Jagged Little Pill was such a, uh, a juggernaut from the 90s. Yeah. Um, I just, before we delve into this, I just want to like quickly give a quick kudos to her because she actually recorded the video for Hand in My Pocket in Brooklyn. And a couple of my friends in high school randomly wound up in the video because they heard there was like some film shoot going on <laughs> where some musicians are going to be driving down this, like, I think it was Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, uh, uh, in a, some sort of like faux parade. Uh, and they just were like, okay. So they came down because I think at the time, you ought to know either had just come out when they were recording this video or maybe it wasn't even out. So they didn't know what they were walking into. And a couple of them wound up in the video, like having little cameos. Oh, my God. So I got to say, like, Alanis came to Brooklyn before it was, like, you know, cool to come to Brooklyn. <laughs> so kudos, Alanis. <laughs> this album was really important to me when I was, like, 14, 15. My, I don't know, I mentioned this, but my first show was Alanis at Jones Beach with, with Radiohead. Um, I had all the Alanis t-shirts. Um, I like, I have, it's embarrassing to admit, but like, I was like, I worshiped Alanis for a couple of years during like my teenage years, uh, saw her a bunch and, um, I don't even know. I, I mean, I thought she yeah. was like a little naughty with that. You ought to know. Of song, course. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I kind of liked, you know, that being like, you know, the first song that I heard of her is like. I was like, wow, this woman is like super uh, edgy, mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought, you know, like going down, talking about like going down on people in, in a theater. theater. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was, whoa, <laughs> I can't believe she's talking about this. Um, 
But, you know, so she definitely had this, like, kind of aggressive, you know, bad girl kind of vibe in that first song. But not always. Not always. But she got kind of uh, categorized as the angry woman. But actually, a lot of that release is kind of sweet. I mean, a song like Head Over Feet is a love song, Mm, you know? Yeah. It's weird to think that, um, did she write this album for that guy? She wrote this album. Oh, the guy from Full House. Full House. Joey. Yes. So a lot of the these songs. <laughs> yes. A lot of these songs are about Joey from Full House. Dave Coulier. Yes. Oh Dave my Coulier. God. <laughs> I mean, I think you ought to know is about him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, Which then you get a visual. So funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're just like him. Okay. Apparently him. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I remember. Yeah. When this, when you ought to know video came out and before I even really was like listening so much to lyrics, I was like, I just love what, like the sound. I love her whole, like how she's running around with that crazy long hair. She looks so cool. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I bought Jagged Little Pill and it was really, I have to admit like an obsession and then supposed former infatuation donkey I was into. And then I kind of lost, lost the thread a little bit, but, um, Anyway, what were what were your best moments from this album? Your repeat? Uh, well, aside from you ought to know, I uh, when I was re-listening to it, um, I I was into wake. I think most of them it was it was kind of hard because like a lot of them kind of became like a little caricaturish, mm-hmm. like cartoonish. Um, after they became like hits, because there were so many kind of single hits, a lot from, of singles from this album. From this album, yeah. um, but I, I I didn't mind "Wake Up." Actually, mm-hmm. um, I thought that was pretty decent. Yeah. Um, but what about you? What were some of your? Favorites? Um, I mean, I really was like this whole album meant a lot to me back in the day. Although a lot of these songs I would not go back to, but um, I have to say you ought to know because that's the moment when I fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really loved "All I Really Want," the opening track. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lyric very towards the beginning of that song where she says something like, um, "My sweater's on backwards and inside out." And I, for some reason, when I was 14, I thought that was really cool. I remember in gym class, I would wear this oversized sweater backwards and inside out, <laughs> and think I was amazing um and people would ask me questions and i'd be like don't you know that's an alanis lyric (laughs) they're like not really (laughs) you're trying to start a trend (laughs) yeah it was it didn't really take off um i think also as a bit of a chunky kid like it was a way for me to like be kind of edgy fashion wise and also cover up my body a little bit i don't know but i was into that but i mean i really loved this whole album um and, uh, you know, I want to give a quick shout out to my brother because he actually was at that very first Alanis show with me in the, in 96. And he was so ill that day. I remember like he was running to the restroom and like, <laughs> I feel bad because I was having my best living my best life. And he was coming kind of, uh, I don't know, dealing with all this, but, um, wow. yeah, well, it's funny. We had like a little, I'm just gonna go off topic for a quick second yeah. here. We had like a little radio station thing that we would do we had two different um cassette recorders and we would tape stuff from the radio and then tape stuff from like the mtv video music awards and make i don't know we would play around with all the buttons and make these little radio stations and i had like the rock station that played alanis and he had the r&b station uh i don't know it was just kind of silly stuff but fond memories when we were a kid uh but i would probably skip forgiven which was like i don't know her kind of like religious track sort yeah, of yeah yeah kind of a catholic vibe to it or yeah. yeah yeah what would you skip uh you know i, I chose not the doctor 
a lot of them kind of turned a little corny. Yes, they did. That was like definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, Oh, but you know, when I was younger, I, (laughs) and this just goes back to like when you're younger, your emotions just seem so much more serious Mm -hmm. back then. Um, But I remember listening to that song, Perfect, Mm. thinking like, oh, I relate to this so much. Like, like my parents don't get me. (laughs) Yeah. They're pushing me to be like too, like, you know, academic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know, so I thought when I was younger, when I was like 15, I guess, I'm sure, like I definitely was like listening to that song, probably crying. <laughs> <laughs> Try a little harder. <laughs> exactly. The lyrics are so bad. A lot of these They're albums so that bad. we've been revisiting this season are just like not that great in retrospect <laughs> lyrically. Um, I know I have to laugh at myself. When I, I know about, like, how I was like listening to them so hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, Jagged Little Pill obviously was a was a huge album, but it wasn't until I researched it recently to see like what were total album sales, um, because, you know, Jagged Little Pill was an off Broadway hit, not even in New York, but I believe in Boston and it's coming to Broadway this fall. But that album in the U.S. alone sold 19 million copies. Wow. Isn't that bananas? That's um, insane. And to and it makes it like one of the top ten or twenty albums ever in the U.S. outside of like Michael Jackson Thriller and like the Eagles' greatest hits and stuff. That's like crazy. It's crazy numbers. Yeah. Like it doesn't even make sense. I know. <laughs> I mean, those numbers are completely unattainable now nowadays. But yeah, I guess it's, she had so many hits off that album. Yeah. Like so, even if they were a joke, you know, like ironic was like a huge joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, you know, every play counts. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> she got her money early, you know, yeah, when it was still possible. And then money. internationally, the album has sold 33 million albums. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. But 33 um, million copies, I should say. It's yeah, it's kind of bananas. It's weird to think of it as a Broadway play. Yeah. I have to admit, like, if I do see it, I kind of want to go in not knowing what they're going to do. So I haven't really read the reviews. Um, mm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, is it like memoirs or is it just like something they put together with the songs? I think it's the latter. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and I <laughs> no don't know. Dave Cooley, but... <laughs> he's the guest star. Can you imagine? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> Definitely not. No, no. And the other album that we have uh, for our repeat skip, our last one of the season, is um, another classic from the 90s, um, Liz Fair, Exile, and Guyville. Oh, my God. Yeah. So good. This was so good. <laughs> I mean, just a classic. Yeah, go into it. What you were know? your memories of this? You know, I remember, like, listening to it and being, like, just blown away with, like, how raw and honest it felt and, like, like not nothing else out there at the time you know and i mean i think she submitted it to like matador as like just like these demos and if you listen to some of the demos i think like sometimes the demos are like cool to listen to Mm -hmm, see how mm -hmm. each song evolved but you know obviously when fucking run came out Mm -hmm. that also i was like who is this woman? Uh-huh. <laughs> How is she so bold? And like, yeah. you know, to be just talking about sex like that, like I just wasn't used to it. So uh, I always found that like just mind blowing. I was just like, she could just sing about this, <laughs> not be embarrassed. You know, <laughs> I thought that was cool. 
Uh, what about you? Um, I got into this album a couple years later because I wasn't as, as hip in 93 for me. <laughs> uh, it took a couple years. But, uh, but I mean, I played this album a lot uh, during my college radio years, mm. uh, even though at that point it was a, quite a few years old. Um, I thought the, that Six Foot One, the opening track, was yeah. great. I, I just love that lyric that kind of gives you like the visual where she's like, I wish I were six foot one instead of five foot two. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, outside of the obvious like mention to height, like it kind of is, I don't know, has this weird aspirational element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I loved Mesmerizing. I thought that just had like a great catchy uh, chorus. I thought that was a great track. I think a lot of the songs on this album do sound similar to one another, but not in a bad way. Yeah. You know? No, I mean... It just felt like one artist was putting out this album yeah. for sure. And, you know, some of them were dirty. Some of them were, like, um, more melodic than others. I mean, other than Fucking Run, mm-hmm. which was, you know, just, like, the, the, the big single off of it. Uh, as in the Girls, Girls, Girls. Mm-hmm. And also Shatter I liked because it was... Also something that built up, you know, like mostly instrumental and then halfway like lyrics start coming and they're just so like emotional and like uh, something about it like really kind of rang with me. So uh, I remember like listening to that song a lot. What were your skips? Um, I skipped Glory. Uh, not that it's necessarily a, a poor track, just not one that I remembered as well. Yeah. I think also, as I've been saying the last few episodes, like I just, I like a, a, a fuller picture of a song. I think this was a little bit more of a, a shorter, uh, and also, also kind of softer track. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of these songs were a little more gritty and mm-hmm. that one broke the mold a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of stood out in not the greatest way, but I think as a standalone track, it's fine, maybe, but maybe in the context of the album, wasn't my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I choose uh, like Johnny Sunshine and Soapstar Joe as like my skips. Um, like nothing wrong with them yeah. overall, but uh, probably just less appealing to me um, uh, than any of the other songs. Um, but like, she was actually one of those artists that I saw like when I went to. Um, NYU and they would have like these concerts for like the student body and um, I remember she, like she performed that song Flower. Oh yeah, that was a naughty one. Yeah, yeah, and that was super naughty. And I just remember thinking like I can't believe she's singing this. <laughs> it's so dirty, um, and just being like, just I don't know. I just thought that was really cool. <laughs> I'm gonna see her for the first time this summer. Ooh. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have not seen her live. I bet she's still really awesome. Yeah. I know she did like a brief kind of, they re-released Exile with like B-sides and demos and all that kind of stuff recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she did a small tour, but this is going to be part of something bigger, I believe. Oh, cool. Um, But, you know, I have fond memories, and I know that this is like the critically like bashed album but in a, around 2000 2001 she joined forces with like the producer who put out all this top 40 stuff at the time notably like avril lavigne and pink oh, right, and stuff right. and she released um i mean the most poppy album of her career and it was tacky as hell but it had some good singles on it and like songs you could really sing along to and yeah. the big one was why can i you remember that one no, how did yeah. that go? Why can't I breathe whenever I think oh, about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was totally more of the poppy. Oh, thing. yeah, yeah. Maybe I don't know that album as much. What's I mean, it, what was it called? I think it's self-titled. Oh, I, okay. I think the album cover, she's nude and holding this guitar as if it were like, man i guess i don't know um but everyone hated that album uh, that was a critic but i thought it had its moments and actually she's kind of naughty on that album too there's a song title hwc and you don't really know what it is until you press play and (laughs) hwc is actually an acronym for hot white gum (laughs) (laughs) and and it's like a poppy sing-along kind of track um And she's talking about how she uses that for her hair, her skin. I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So she went there. But she went there in a different way than someone like Peaches went there. Yeah. You know, where Peaches, it was a lot more explicit. I mean, this is explicit, too, but a little more. I don't know. I don't know. They're different. Different. Yeah. 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 One was more like singer songwriting vibe. And the other one was more like, I don't know, there's some kind of other kind of edge to it yeah yeah um but you know like i liked her other albums too though like i remember liking whip smart Um, oh whip smart's great i love white chocolate space egg which was a little more poppy admittedly a little later on yeah um yeah she had a bunch of good good releases that though i mean those were probably the two albums yeah um after exile yeah yeah I didn't even know she put one out in 2010, but now I'm seeing that she did it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Her star is kind of faded, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's, you know, if you kind of change and get, like, way poppy, like, yeah, when she worked with The Matrix or whatever, like, mm-hmm. it's just like... You're gonna you're gonna be different. You're gonna become Avril. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, always like complicated as a guilty of pleasure, course. but yeah. like you know. It, got a certain corniness to it i wonder why she decided to like go in a total 100 percent pop direction you know well sometimes you get pressured to yeah maybe that's part of it she's on a major label yeah so you know it's not matador anymore mm-hmm. it's like you're on a different level and you have to appeal to mainstream mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and get on the radio mm-hmm. um so, yeah, I imagine she just gets pressure from her peoples. Yeah, you know? yeah. But Unfortunately, that was that whole idea of putting her in the pop universe didn't really work out so yeah. hot. Yeah. She'll never have another exile. No, sure. no, no. <laughs> but, you know, it but was it, it really was also, good. <laughs> it was also of the time. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't work now. No. You know? No. All right, so that was our season finale. Oh, my gosh. I can't <laughs> believe we did it. Yeah. episodes. Um. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. Yes. And uh, looking forward to bringing you more in season two. Of Mixtape Memories. Yay. See you. See you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 